You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Hi, my name's Dennis. I'm a friend of Jim. My wife works here, Colleen. Many of you know her, know what a delight she is. Um, in the 1970s, there was a calorie pear tree that was planted near Building 5 of the World Trade Center in New York City. Then in 2001, on 9-11, the terrorist attack, where two commercial jets were intentionally flown into the Twin Towers, the calorie uh, pear tree disappeared under an avalanche of concrete. Amazingly, a little over a month later in October, workers unearthed this damaged tree who was uh, covered and buried in concrete debris. The initial opinion was that this tree was, was dead, but the Ground Zero workers convinced the Park Department to try and nurse the tree back to health. So they trimmed off the dead and burned branches, and they fertilized and watered the soil around its trunk, and to everyone's surprise, the tree revived. Hence, the calorie pear tree was aptly named Survivor. Then in September of 2010, disaster hit New York City again in the form of an epic storm with flooding storm surge and tornado-level winds in excess of 80 miles an hour. So a survivor of the calorie uh, pear tree was ripped from the ground again by the, the winds, and once again he was assumed to be dead, but the park department again, the workers, Faithfully worked, you know, putting compost and mulch to support the, the once uprooted roots and, and to work on this tree. And again, somehow, this tree survivor lived up to its name and it rose again. By then, this tree had become a symbol to New York City of overcoming crippling adversity. So in 2011, the city officially made it part of the 9-11 Memorial. If you go to the 9-11 Memorial in New York City, you'll be able to recognize it. I have a picture of it up there, if you would put that up, Grace Forrest. And you'll, you'll be able to see it by the South Tower, and you'll be able to recognize it because it has blue ribbons all over it that people have begun to hung there in memorial of loved ones who have, who have uh, passed away or people that they knew passed away in 9-11 or survived 9-11. Survivor in the 9-11 calorie pear tree is a metaphor for the life that God envisions for us, his sons and daughters. Several times in the New Testament, the Bible talks about uh, Christ followers as overcomers, as people who survive and continue to thrive post-trauma, people who have, by God's grace, have resurrected from the rubble that life has buried them in. Jesus was clear in saying that he does not promise us a life that is free of all trauma on this broken planet. In John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus' promise is not an avoidance of the tough stuff for his followers, but his presence and his redemptive work in our lives. God desires us to overcome trauma by his grace. When Colleen and I were newlyweds, we, we bought uh, what for us was a, a pretty brand new car. It was an immaculate uh, 1978 Buick Regal with velour interior, yeah, velour, and uh, that was big in the 70s, and a T-top and a tape player. 
This was a great car. You've you got to understand that. And then we'd had it for a week and a half. We took it up to Snohomish, Washington. I was a youth pastor in the Seattle area at the time to show my brother and sister-in-law. And we got T-boned on the Snohomish Viaduct between Everett and Snohomish, if you're familiar with the Northwest. And it totaled our car. So the next morning I woke up, I was totally bummed out that uh, we'd lost this car. And Colleen cheerfully said, i just been thinking about that scripture in, in James that, that says rejoice in, in all tribulations. Do chipper people ever get on your nerves or am I the only one? Huh? But not for the first time, not for the last time. Colleen was correct. Okay, let me, let, me say, let me redeem what I just said a little bit. Colleen was correct. Colleen was correct. Okay, she's right there, so I want her to hear that. And uh, life on this planet, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. Bad things happen to us. None of us are exempt from that. Uh, Dr. M. Scott Peck, in his, in his book, best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled, the first sentence of that book is this, life is difficult. Life is difficult. Jesus doesn't promise us a, a trauma-free life on this planet. He does promise to be with us and to help us and to bring ultimate good from the pain of life for those of us that trust him and follow him. So the question when trauma hits our lives is not, why me, but what, O oh Lord, do you want to bring out of this? What redemptive good do you want to bring? The authors of Psalm 20, uh, 43, the sons of Korah, they understood trauma. The, the sons of Korah were facing real-time trauma in their life, as we see in this scripture, but they also understood family of origin trauma. How much of the trauma in life do we experience because of our family of origin? This past week was my sister's birthday, and I sent her this meme, Grace, if you'd put it up there. It says this, older siblings creating trust issues since forever. <laughs> I'm the youngest of seven, so that's the truth. Absolutely, that's the truth. Cora was the, the ancestor to the, the author of Psalm 43, and he was an infamous character in the history of Israel. He was a worship leader, also happened to be the cousin of Moses, and he led a coup against Moses and Aaron and incurred God's wrath upon his life. And, and so uh, the sons of Korah understood what it was like to have people said, oh, you're related to so-and-so, that sort of uh, less than stellar family history. Additionally there in, in Psalm 43, we see the source of their present trauma in, in verse 1. It says, ungodly people or nation, and then wicked men. And so in Psalm 43, we can learn about healthy self-leadership in trauma. When we experience trauma in life, we have a choice, as we see in this scripture. We can choose to be at the stress or to be at the source. At the stress. The sons of Korah, who faced adversity and pain from an ungodly nation and wicked men, Begin that we see in the first two verses are focusing on their feelings and their circumstance. Why must we go around mourning, they say? Why is this happening to us? They felt helpless and hopeless and, and frustrated and fearful and anxious. They saw themselves as victims. They were caught in the complain and blame drain. They were being triggered. Has that ever happened to you? A few weeks ago, our son Dan and his wife, our daughter-in-law, Taylor, overheard this conversation between the six-year-old Peach and her two-and-a-half little brother, uh, uh, Judah, that I call Buckaroo. And they heard her say, Judah Dennis, don't even think about it. 
Oh boy, that triggered me. I, I could hear my older sister's voice with that. Then quick as a wink, uh, two and a half year old buckaroo replied, oh, my thinking about it. <laughs> Both these little rascals were being triggered by each other. You see, when we're at the stress, we're easily triggered. Shane Hughes, he's an executive business consultant, wrote an excellent book entitled Ego-Free Leadership, wrote this. It's a, it's a very insightful quote. Unless we address the underlying anxiety, we will not step out of the reactive state of mind which triggers dysfunctional behavior. That is so very true. U.S. Army Medal of Honor recipient David Belavia, who has suffered from PTSD, wrote this. Trauma leads to dysfunction. When we are at the stress, we are in a fight-or-flight reactive state of mind. Our anxiety leads us to say things and to do things that we regret. When we are at the stress, we spiral down the complain, blame, shame drain. Then we compound our sorrows by passing that on, passing our pain on to others. Did you know anxiety is contagious? Richard Rohr wisely observed, trauma that isn't transformed will be transmitted. To what degree were the sons of Korah reaction to the trauma in real time in Psalm 43 was their reaction informed by their ancestors' failure? So not only were the sons of Korah held captive to their feelings and circumstances, they also empowered their assumptions. An assumption is when we accept as fact an unproven theory. When we accept assumptions as fact, we can end up believing a falsehood and then reacting to something that isn't even true. I don't know about you, but some days it seems I get all my steps in by just jumping to conclusions, by following my assumptions. I always have so many assumptions that go through this head. We're at the stress when we put more faith in our assumptions than we do in the promises of God. So in this scripture, what were the sons of Korah assumption? Verse 2, they say this to God, why have you rejected us? That's their assumption. We're going through this, it's tough, it's hard, we're hurting, and so God must not be there. He must not care. That was their assumption, but was that true? You see, when we um, empower our assumptions, we weaken our faith, hope, and love. I encourage you to question your assumptions. Is what I'm thinking in my reaction, is it an assumption or is it based on what is actually going on? Is there enough verifiable objective evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that my assumption, a theory, is actually the truth? I also encourage us to uh, submit our assumptions to the promises of God's word. Is my assumption true? There was an interesting article I read recently. Bloomberg Business News reported that the Psychic Friends Network Incorporated, the company, filed its investor documents with the Security and Exchange Commission as part of the process of becoming a publicly traded company. Psychic Friends Network rakes in millions of dollars. People call in because they want some kind of supernatural insight into the future. So it was ironic that on the first page of their application with the SEC, it stated this, quote, undue reliance should not be placed on the forward-looking statements because Psychic Friends Network can give no assurance that they'll be proven correct. You would think they'd be able to figure that out, huh? 
In a Get Fuzzy cartoon, Bucky the Cat calls Psychic Friends Network, and the Psychic Friends ask Bucky, to give your reading, I'll need to know your occupation. And Bucky says, well, you're psychic, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then don't you know that already? Oh, sure, I know all that stuff. I just need to see um, if you're being honest with me. And Bucky ends with, oh, good thinking. Well, I'm currently unemployed. When we say to our assumptions, oh, I'm thinking about it, we're in spiritual deep weeds. We aren't abiding in the healthy peace of Christ, which can guard our hearts and our minds. We aren't resting in the joy of our salvation. Instead, we're torturing ourselves by being at the stress. It's a miserable experience. But we don't have to live at the stress. We have a choice. We can instead live at the source. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we read about Elisha and his servant who faced the choice of being at the stress or at the source. When Eli- the scripture tells us that Elijah's servant woke up and he saw that the city that they were in, the town they were in, was surrounded by the Aramean army and their chariots. And so their lives were obviously in mortal danger. The odds would be they wouldn't survive that day. And so he looked at the objective evidence that he could see and he came to the conclusion that he needed to panic. And so in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, he says, Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? He's triggered. He's at the stress. And then Elijah's response is amazing. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There's a different way of seeing, and it's through the eyes of faith. It's through the eyes of the promises of God, and that's what Elijah did. So a good question I need to ask myself and bring to mind when facing trauma is which example will I follow? Will I be panic-stricken like the servant Or will I trust in the Lord like uh, Elisha? The servant was at the stress, but Elisha was at the source. You see, healthy self-leadership intentionally chooses to be at the source. Being at the source means to trust and obey the Lord in the midst of the pain. Healthy self-leadership intentionally chooses to be at the source of the Lord as my fountain of life. And that's the choice the sons of Korah made in Psalm 43 that we see in verses 3 through 5. A key phrase in Psalm 43 is in verse 5. It says, why so downcast, O my soul? As Pastor Jim mentioned last week, Psalm 42 and 43 originally were just one song. And then they broke it up, we think, because of of length and, and so forth. And three times... In what was originally one song, it says this phrase. In 42 verse 5, 42 verse 11, 43 verse 11, it says, Why so downcast, O my soul? It's the pivot thought. It's where they're changing from being at the stress to beginning to be at the source. You see, what they were finding is self-leadership, which they were beginning to, to have toward themselves. Oh, my soul, everything that is within me that makes me who I am. They began to say, why are you so downcast? They were beginning to say, do I need to be led by my feelings, my assumptions, and my circumstance? It's interesting that studies show 
that positive self-dialogue, talking to ourselves in a healthy way, is very, very beneficial. And the sons of Korah were doing that in this psalm. They made a choice to talk to themselves in faith rather than listen passively to their fears. Big difference there. They talked to themselves in faith rather than listening passively to their fears. In other words, they exercised healthy self-leadership. So what did they say to themselves? Why so downcast, O my soul? Then they get to the point. Put your hope in God. What wise counsel for us when we go through trauma. We're in, when we're in the oncologist office, put your hope in God. When we're sitting at the memorial service, put your hope in God. When we're startled awake at 2 a.m. by that uh, emergency phone call, put your hope in God. So how did the sons of Korah put their hope in God? They modeled the way via prayer and praise. As Pastor Jim explained in, in Psalm 42 last week, these psalms are, are of pilgrims that are yearning for God. They need God. And they want to meet him by going to the temple, the place of worship and intimacy with Almighty God in Jerusalem. The New Testament tells us that now, as followers of Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the modern equivalent for us of yearning, of it, when we're in trauma and saying, Lord, I need your comfort, I need your strength, I need your guidance, I need your help in this. And we yearn for that. We don't have to go to a physical place. The Lord can meet us deep within our soul and together in our fellowship as the bride of Christ, as the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, in trauma, we desperately need the Lord to be our source, our source of comfort, our source of guidance, our source of strength and healing. We see this all over Scripture of the Lord saying that he is near to the brokenhearted and draw near to him. One example is in, Saul, is, excuse me, in Acts 16.25. Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi. They've been beaten. Their feet are in stocks. And then they give this inspiring example of healthy self-leadership and trauma in verse 25, Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read about David before he was king, and uh, the Amalekites had, had taken he and his, his family and his 600 guys that were in his ragtag army, their families, and so these 600 men, it tells us in, in 1 Samuel 30, wanted to kill him, and, uh, and so he's facing this mob, and what did he do? Verse 6, 1 Samuel 30, but David found strength in the Lord his God. I would argue that no one in history has had as great of a leadership burden to fulfill his mission as Jesus going to the cross. Jesus literally was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, the burden of the sin and shame of humanity upon his soul. So what did he do? Luke twenty-two forty-one. Jesus withdrew, he knelt down, and he prayed. You see, when the sons of Korah heard the knock of at the stress, anxiety, worry, fear, blame, shame, complain at the door of their hearts, what did they choose to do? It says in this scripture, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. 
I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Paul and Silas in jail, they'd been beaten. What did they do? They prayed and worshipped. David, facing a mob that wanted to kill him, found strength in the Lord. Jesus going to the cross with the burden of all the sin of humanity, all of our shame, knelt and prayed for strength. The sons of Korah facing opposition from an evil nation and wicked men sought intimacy with God in prayer and worship. You see, prayer and worship are means of grace that God has given us by which we can access his presence, his help. He can be our source in our time of need. Colleen and I were talking about this a little bit between the, the services and looking back at, at traumatic experiences that we've had over the years of being together and how we totally agree with what the scripture is saying, that there is great power in kneeling in prayer. There's just something, I, I can't, I, I, I should be able to explain it, but I, I can't. But there's something powerful that when in sincerity you privately get in a place and you get down on your knees and you pour out your heart to God, God, God shows up. He may not change the circumstance, but he can change what's happening inside. Or he may change the circumstance also. And Colleen and I also talked about the power when there's trauma going on and everything within you wants to panic is to begin to sing praise to God. There's just something that, that connects you with the Holy Spirit through worshiping God. And I believe, and Colleen concurred, and, and when we were talking between the services, that it puts Satan to flight. There's something supernatural that happens that at that point where everything within us could say, God, where are you? You've let me down. That we do what Job said, where, where he found out that his kids had died and everyone except his complaining wife and uh, had died. And he said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. What? Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, in prayer and worship, we take our soul to the feet of the cross to be emptied of our anxiety and to be refreshed from the river of God's grace. And so our souls can be filled afresh with faith, hope, and love. Never underestimate, my friend, the power of prayer. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. By, uh, by faith, we can activate the power of God in our lives via prayer and via worship. By choosing to pray rather than worry, we cooperate with the grace of God in cognitive reframing. We can choose to cooperate with the a Holy Spirit in our lives to intentionally focus our mind on living at the source rather than living at the stress. That's healthy self-leadership in trauma. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says this, Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Romans 12.2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? 1 Corinthians 10.5, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what we see here in Psalm 43. The sons of Korah examine their thoughts and assumptions, then via prayer and worship move from being at the stress to being at the source. Their problems probably didn't disappear, but their problems ceased to control their lives, their emotions, and their decisions. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God cannot give us a happiness or peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. 
C.S. Lewis is speaking in that quote of living at the source, that God is the source of my life. Jordan Peterson talks about the other reaction when he said this, quote, misery is preoccupation with my pain, end quote. Peterson's speaking at living at the, at the stress. We live at the stress when we abdicate control of our lives to circumstances, assumptions, and reactions rather than seeking the Lord. Healthy self-leadership believes that in spite of my circumstances, by God's grace, I can choose to live at the source rather than at the stress. That doesn't mean we don't have struggles or anything like that, but it means that we tap into something greater than ourselves. So in this broken world filled with heartache, will we believe God's promise to never leave us or forsake us? Will we trust that God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose? Will we truly believe and put our ultimate hope in heaven as our home? Will we be people of prayer who in the midst of strife strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Will we cast all of our anxiety upon God because he cares for us? Will we trust that God's greater grace is greater than whatever problem or sin that we face? When life is overwhelming, will we quiet our hearts and rely on the blessed Holy Spirit who has been poured into our souls by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? America's poet Maya Angelou became pregnant when she was 16 years old. She was almost a child herself. She was poor, had a single mom that she was living with. How would she support her child? So she was just filled and racked with anxiety in her heart and her mind. Her mom counseled her to not ruin three lives by having an abortion, and so Maya gave birth and named her son Guy. In her own words, Angelo said, I quote, I struggled. We lived hand to mouth, but it really was heart to hand. Guy had love and laughter. Having my son brought out the best in me and enlarged my life. Whatever he missed by being raised by a single mom, he somehow is a great father today. Years later, when I was married, I wanted to have more children, but I couldn't conceive. Isn't it wonderful that I had a child at 16? Praise God. Why so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God.